0: The scripture reading for our sermon this morning comes from Ephesians 1, 15 to 23. For this reason, because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints, I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and a revelation in the knowledge of him. Having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. This is the word of the Lord.
1: It's just a couple of comments. First, um, this is the first time I've ever had walk-up music. <laughs> it's pretty awesome. I feel like I'm coming up to bat, but I didn't get to choose the tune. Am I good? Uh, secondly, uh, just to clarify, uh, we have been praying for and trying to do uh, all that we can to support Risen. And, uh, but just for clarity, Rich. Makes it sound like I've been at his house like the whole time, but a lot of Zoom meetings, right? We've been trying to care for each other in the best way that we can. And then finally, um, just an acknowledgement, and this is true of every time you go to church, but when you get here, um, you know, people have been here serving. The church has been on, and, and uh, I think I'm just... Reaware of that when we come to a new place and walk into a space and know that, you know Somebody taped down every one of these cords and set up every one of these uh, uh, Curtains and everything this morning and at the uh, pre-meeting prayer they said that uh, we were together and they uh, They said this is our Sunday ops team and I said "Man, that makes you guys sound like commandos (laughs) And so just thank you uh, to the church and to the Sunday morning commandos who uh, (laughs) Who, who come in early and, uh, and don't get seen. In fact, uh, if you do your job right, you don't get seen, right? <laughs> so thank you. You know, um, it's not uncommon. It's not uncommon in our culture, I think, to say something to someone or have someone say something to you like, I, I'm praying for you. Um, it's certainly not uncommon in the in the the moment of a, a tragedy to even hear the newscaster or a politician or a public figure say, "Our thoughts and prayers go out to the people in Haiti, to the people uh, stranded in Afghanistan, to mothers and fathers." Um, and it's not a bad thing, I don't think. I think it's conve- it's a convention, you know, whether or not you're actually praying for someone or not. It's a indication of care you're offering compassion uh, to somebody but it's certainly a convention right it's a it's one of these responses that we give in these situations and uh, this morning uh cat read for us this passage in the book of ephesians uh, second part of the first chapter and uh it's actually part of a pretty conventional structure in a letter that uh, paul was writing to a church in ephesus Um, and a letter to so a letter like this uh, would have a prayer or something like this, a commissioning. And so, in some ways, what we've just read is really conventional. And in another way, that I hope that we'll see this morning, Paul's Paul's prayer is is anything but conventional. Um, he transforms the convention in an opportunity to really give spiritual support to the church in Ephesus, and that's certainly what I hope to provide. Uh, this morning is spiritual support and encouragement to Risen in Hayward. Occasionally, uh, I have done something unconventional. Uh, in particular, what I'm talking about is um, I've actually prayed. That's right? so when I've said to somebody, I'm, I'll pray for you. I've actually prayed for them. Actually, uh, occasionally, I've actually prayed for the people that I've promised to pray for with the people. That I said I would pray for. Occasionally, um, we've done that in strange places uh, with neighbors or with family friends, with uh, acquaintances, and strange times and strange unconventional places, right? In somebody's living room, in somebody's driveway, over the service counter at a business. And those prayers, um, as honestly uh, occasional as they are, have revolutionized some of those relationships. They've validated the other spiritual conversations that we've gotten to have. They've provided spiritual support for people who never would have asked for it, and they certainly have challenged me. And so I want to tell you a few of those stories this morning. But but first, uh, just a, a little bit of context for the book of Ephesians. One of the reasons that I'm so interested in the book Of Ephesians is because in many ways the church in Ephesus was the first place in the New Testament uh, where um, Jews and Gentiles worshipped together in public worship. Um, It's the first multi-ethnic church that we have evidence of in the scriptures and it's a place where uh, what So Paul has this phrase, and Paul's the uh, the author that he penned this letter, and he was the church planter. And so he's writing back to this church that he's no longer with. And uh, he uses this phrase later in the book and in other places in his letters, the mystery of the gospel. And he says that the mystery, this, uh, this revealing that God is doing, is... Uh, he says later in Ephesians uh, 3.6, he says, the mystery is that Gentiles are fellow heirs, members of the same body and, and partakers of the promise of Christ, of Jesus through the gospel. And so what he's saying and, uh, is that people um, who were far off had no interest in the things of God, were uh, we're separated from uh, law keepers, people who read the Old Testament, and people who were highly religious and anticipating that God was gonna fulfill his promises. Both of those groups of people, and not unlike our culture, I think sometimes those people could be identified by sight because of ethnicity. Were you Jewish or were you Gentile? Both of those people were being brought together by what Christ has done in this church in Ephesus. And it was a place that God designed, the church in Ephesus, but the church in general, a place that God designed to be a little glimpse of what his kingdom is going to be. A place where people from every tribe and every nation and every tongue gather and Gather because there's something deeper and more significant and more important than the things that separate them. That is a place in Ephesus and a place that has regenerated throughout history that has become known as the church. So Paul wrote this book as a letter to the uh, believers in Ephesus while he was in prison. And... uh, he says in Ephesians chapter 6 that he, he wrote it, uh, he actually, he wrote it from prison and the reason why he is incarcerated is because he fearlessly made known the mystery of the gospel, uh, the mystery of Christ. And so it's hard to say for certain from that passage, from that phrase, whether or not uh, Paul is in prison for proclaiming Jesus as the Messiah or whether he's in prison for saying that it was okay for Jews and Gentiles to worship together and gather in a public place, and it's not that hard. We're not we're not very far off. It's easy for us to imagine a country where you could get in trouble with the law for gathering in uh, gathering to worship with people of a different ethnicity. Um, and so just think about how powerful it was for someone to walk into the worship service in Ephesus and see Jews and Gentiles, people separated by prejudice, worshiping together, breaking bread together. And think how powerful a witness that continues to be in our day and throughout the world, that this gospel is for all people, not just a specific group. And so I think we need as much as ever today um, as a church, to seek to validate the message that we preach uh, by demonstrating together how the gospel brings people together as one. And, uh, and realize how, how much of a witness that is to a watching world. But also, I think, in pursuit, we realize how much encouragement, how much spiritual support an effort like that really takes. And that's what Paul is writing about. So this morning, let's look at, Paul, at what Paul wrote to the church in the, in a situation not so different uh, from the one that we find ourselves in. And this prayer that he prays as a commission or a purpose statement, this is uh, for you and my uh, encouragement to you. He wants to provide spiritual support to men and women, to, to Jews and Gentiles, to parents and children, to, to employers and employees, to regular uh, Joe's and Jane's like you and me, and uh, he he's just encouraging them in living out the gospel. He's going to demonstrate for us that even when we feel totally powerless to help or to give somebody support, like say in a prison in another city, um, we have uh, we have the ability to provide spiritual support by the way that we show gratitude. Uh, the way that we pray, and, uh, and, and by the way that we uh, put our hope in the power of the gospel. And so this, this morning, gratitude, prayer, and power in Paul's spiritual support uh, to the church in Ephesus. So in Paul's day, a letter would have had some form to it in the same way as uh, when we write a business letter, there's an address here and an address there and a greeting and a formal closing. These days you say, best. Uh, but uh, there, would have been, there would have been convention, and, and so the, the letter of Ephesians opens with a greeting and an introduction, and then typically the convention would be to give some sort of blessing. And uh, if you read the first half of Ephesians chapter 1, Paul transforms that opportunity to give a blessing into a 203-word run-on sentence about the gospel. Um, very hard to translate, lots of commas. Uh, and then, uh, but that's the that's the blessing. And then the next section of the letter traditionally would describe the purpose of the letter or give a commission to the people receiving the letter. Uh, sometimes uh, this is what I pray for you, and that's the section that we read this morning. And so when our when our uh, passage this morning begins with these words, for this reason. Paul is referring back to what he's just said. For The reason that he's referring to is the 203 word celebration of what Christ has done. Because God is reclaiming all of creation. Because the redemptive work of Jesus is already underway. Because the resurrection is proof Uh, that he is king and has power over every power including death and sin because believers live in the confidence of god's love based not on what we have done but on what he has done for us not on what we have decided but what he decided before the beginning of time Uh, for these reasons paul is going to pray this prayer of encouragement to them for this reason i'm writing to offer you spiritual support he says so that you can know that it's possible to live faithfully even in the midst of ridicule, that it's possible to pursue Christ even when we're told that there is no truth. It's possible to worship Him and to submit to Him and have it be a life-giving witness to the world uh, even in the midst of a culture that says, submit only to yourself, worship and serve your desires. And so uh, Paul is saying, It is possible. In fact, it is possible to gather in a group um, of great racial diversity or economic disparity or even political diversity and worship him because of the gospel. Because for this reason, there is something deeper and more significant than any one of those things that we divide over. And so Paul Begins with this commission to show them gratitude, demonstrate how he prays, and highlight the power uh, that is in his prayers. Let's think about gratitude for a moment. In a previous uh, neighborhood, a place that we used to live, uh, we moved in and then we had a family of uh, some neighbors that moved in just a few months after us. They had kids of similar age to our kids at the time, two kids. And our kids became fast friends. It was a little knee wall between our properties that the kids would climb over into each other's yards and play. And uh, the mom and dad became good friends of ours and trusted and wonderful neighbors. Several years later, it became clear uh, that their marriage was failing. And uh, I found myself um, stumbling into reoccurring conversations with the dad um, and I found myself powerless uh, to to do anything for him. I I I, I was just the neighbor, and uh, and so I would say things like, "I'm praying for you." But on one particular uh, occasion, when he was uh, sharing with me and recounting uh, all of the faults and the accusations that he felt like were piling up on top of him, and the And uh, the hopelessness that he was feeling, I said, can I pray for you? And he said, yes, and he collapsed into a chair, and I prayed. We had never had this part of our relationship before, and I didn't know uh, exactly, I didn't know what was true. It's a he said, she said, this and that and the other thing. What do you pray for? And so I just thank God that he was my neighbor. I thank God that he loved and cared for my kids and that he was trustworthy. That uh, packages on our porch didn't get stolen because they looked out for us. We thank God that uh, we felt safe in our neighborhood because they lived next door. And I thank God that he let me borrow his truck sometimes. And I just ask God to take care of him. Paul says to the Ephesians, for this reason because i have heard of your faith in the lord jesus and your love towards all the saints i do not cease to give thanks for you remembering you in my prayers so he begins with gratitude he 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 tells them how grateful he is for them he he commends them for their faith that he hears that they are relying on jesus and we're going to learn later on in the letter that their faith wasn't perfect uh, they needed to be challenged, and they, they, he had teaching to do with them. But Paul knows that spiritual support begins with gratitude. Giving thanks for all that God is doing and providing, even if it isn't perfect, even if it uh, hasn't arrived yet, isn't, isn't mature, or all that we would hope that it would be. And man, isn't that the story of church planting, you know? Uh, got dreams, and... Uh, Man, sometimes it seems like the, the growth is so slow, um, and other times you can just see what God is doing. But uh, Paul understands that uh, gratitude lays at the foundation. He's laying a foundation of gratitude for future spiritual care. Um, he knows that uh, this, is, this gratitude and this prayer is going to provide relational capital for him to say tough things later on. Um, and when he gives thanks for them, he, he acknowledges that God is doing something. He commends them for the love that they have for all the saints. And that might be a loaded phrase right there, all the saints. Um, it's significant because all of the saints in Ephesus meant the Jews and the Gentiles, all of that gathering. So there was a, a, a counter-cultural Uh, commendation that he was giving them this is a big thing that you're doing don't underplay how significant it is to just love each other and all the saints uh, the men and women the Jews and Gentiles in Ephesus they're not doing it perfect later in the letter there's going to be encouragement and teaching about how to pursue unity because they don't have it but Paul's grateful just for a glimpse of the kingdom of God in this gathering of people And so I don't think that it's disingenuous of him to give thanks and commend people even though that it's not a picture of perfection. They could do better, but Paul doesn't seem to think that it's a bad thing to commend and give thanks for what's happening now. And when we do it, we demonstrate to people that we have faith that God is doing something and sometimes I can't see it for myself, I need to hear it from you. We have faith uh, we we give thanks and we say I see that God has started something, and and when we give and when we're grateful, we're also giving credit to God. He's the one doing this. We're thanking him for the gift of this thing, this person, their faith, their love for all the saints, which is where every good gift comes from as well. Um, it comes from God. Our salvation comes from Him. It's a gift, not by works. And so Paul's spiritual support for the Ephesian church starts with gratitude. He gives thanks for them. Another time, Olivia, my wife, and I were having dinner with a couple. Uh, they were friends of ours. We've been building a, uh, a friendship with them. And they were, we were in their home, and they were preparing uh, to go on a very important vacation. Uh, they were taking their adopted daughter back to the country of her birth. And the trip had been postponed and several times canceled because of travel restrictions and other difficulties and weather. And uh, it was going to be challenging. If they uh, indeed made the trip, getting to the village where their daughter had been born would be dangerous and difficult, particularly with the weather and the road conditions. And so as the evening drew to a close, we asked if we could pray for them this was uh unprecedented again in our relationship It's not something that we had done and uh, while they didn't share our faith they received the invitation and said of course and so we prayed and we prayed for specific things not just traveling mercies and god's blessing but we prayed that the passport and the visa issues would be resolved. We prayed that weather would allow them to travel to the village of their daughter's birth and that God would give them safety and that that he would be with them in the most dangerous parts of their journey. So Paul, while there's this convention to say, I'm praying for you, uh, Paul doesn't just say that he'll pray for the Ephesian believers he is very specific about what he's asking God for and how he's asking God to use the gospel in their lives. He prays and he says, he prays that, God, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you the spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened. He's praying that they would have gospel heads. He's praying that they would have an understanding of who God is. Who Jesus is and who they are as adopted sons and daughters of the king. He's praying that that knowledge, that understanding would change the way that they interact with each other and the way that they interact in the world. Uh, he's praying that, that embracing that spiritual reality would transform how they interact, how they calculate what is wise, how they live their lives. And uh, this includes the way they interact with each other, the way the church interacts with the world around them. Uh, God's revelation of his character and his purpose and his design is available to us. He's given us knowledge in the scriptures. He's put on display who he is in the person of Christ. And so Paul is praying not just that they would know scripture, but that they would have understanding and apply it in their lives. And of course, some of these are themes that he'll hit on later in the in the letter. He's praying they'd have gospel heads, but he prays also that they'd have uh, gospel hearts. He says, having the eyes of your heart enlightened. He's acknowledging that Uh, And and we've had experience in our own lives and with other people who have lots of Bible knowledge and it doesn't seem to be affecting what happens in their heart. They have all the right answers, but they're hard-hearted or stingy or arrogant. Paul's acknowledging that it doesn't matter how much knowledge you have in your head if you have a hard and stubborn heart. And so... Uh, Paul is praying because he knows that what the Ephesian believers need is not right behavior, although he's going to give some instruction about how to live for God. What they need is changed hearts. What they need is regenerated hearts. They need God to move in their lives and soften their hearts so that they're open to the truth. And so Paul prays his spiritual support is imploring God to do what only God can do, which is change hard hearts. And he prays that they'd be people of gospel hope. We've all experienced leaders uh, who lead out of anxiety and fear and reaction. And many of us, if we've been uh, blessed, have also had the, the blessing of being on a team or in a church or in a workplace where somebody leads and in their leadership they emote confidence and they... They, they draw from a well of character because their words and their convictions come from a place of deep and secure hope. They know who they are and they know where they're going. And Paul's words, he says, that, that you may know what, the, what is the hope to which he has called you. What are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints? Where is our gospel hope? Paul is, in this moment, pointing back to his 203-word run-on sentence at the beginning. Uh, He's saying, the world is the Lord's and we're His forever. The universe is not random and we're not abandoned. Our God is just and gracious and sovereign and saving and we are His children. This is where our hope lies. So, uh, Paul prays that they would have gospel heads and gospel hearts and gospel hope. A few years ago, I dropped my iPhone and cracked the screen and uh, I took it to a repair shop that I knew was owned by the family of another uh, one of the guys that played on my son Asher's little league baseball team. He was the digital doctor, that was the name of his, uh, and he drove a little truck that looked like an ambulance and he would come to your house and fix your phone. When I arrived, I knew uh, that There had been some kind of medical event in their lives, but I didn't really know what it was. And we weren't that connected as a dad of another kid on a baseball team. What I didn't realize as I was standing at the counter and he was disassembling my phone is that he had spent the night in the ICU the night before um, next to his wife who was unconscious and fighting for her life. She had had some kind of crazy complication of, of an infection after a surgery and sepsis or something. I don't I honestly don't remember the situation except that she was nearly comatose and uh, on the edge of living. And every time, he was working, but every time the phone rang, he jumped because he thought maybe this is the call. Uh, And yet, he had to work. He had to provide for his family. He was a single dad while she was in the hospital, all of this kind of stuff. And, um, of course, I felt like,
0: I just want to get my cell phone fixed, you know.
1: (laughs) But I... uh, I broke like a hundred like, unspoken rules that, are, you know, that exist between dads of little league players. And I said, can I pray for you? And uh, he just wept while I asked God to save his wife. We a- I just asked God to show up in power and to prepare us for what he was gonna do, whatever it was that he decided to do, and to help us to see his goodness in the way things transpired. And uh, I'll tell you what, uh, we have sat next to them, at them being husband and wife in good health at Little League games in the last couple of months. And uh, he called, he's he's Catholic, and uh, they, uh, but he still call, he calls me Pastor Brad and he whispers like prayer requests in between innings. Uh, and for your, you know, just FYI, um, our friends made it uh, into country and got their daughter to, uh, to the village of her birth. Our neighbors are divorced. And that broke my heart. But I would still say that each one of these prayers was a powerful prayer changed my life and my heart, and I think that it had an impact in each situation. How do we know if our prayers will have power? Well, Paul's spiritual care for the Ephesians makes it clear uh, that the power of our prayers is not in the prayer itself. So it's not in saying the right words and being articulate and uh, being well-spoken. It's not in the prayer that we say or the magical incantation of the way that we say it. And Paul makes it clear that the power in, the, in, in Christian prayer and gospel prayer is not in the pray-er, you know, the person who's doing the prayer, which is really good news because I'll tell you what, these are like three of the dumbest, most bumbliest prayers I've ever prayed but Paul says that there is an immeasurable greatness of God's power towards us who believe. He says that uh, the power that, uh, that we are in pursuit of, the power that is available to us when we pray is the same power that worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. We pray in Jesus' name not because it's convention. I mean, it is convention. Some of us pray that so fast you don't even know what we said in Jesus' name. It's just what you say but Christians pray in Jesus name because that's the only name that can raise the dead looking to him is more powerful than looking to any other rule or authority uh, any other uh, structure on earth and of course, that's usually the way that we operate, right? We're in crisis. We go to the people in power and ask if they can help. We, uh, we, go, we exhaust doctors and other es- experts. We, we see what kind of help or security or, uh, or work we can do with our money and our, and our resources until finally, when all else fails, we desperately cry out to the one who has proven that he can raise the dead. That's the kind of power that is at work in the prayer of believers. And in fact, uh, and Paul is explicit here in our passage, in this letter he's writing to a struggling church in Ephesus, and he's, he's clear that the power that God has given to Jesus, this power to put all things under his feet, is the power that Jesus gives to the church as its head. His body. Uh, Jesus' body that continues to exist on earth is the church. And it has resurrection power. God has determined by his good pleasure that uh, he, and, and he can do whatever he wants, right? He can answer in power a bumbling prayer in a cell phone shop. But he has determined that uh, The regular place that he is going to put his resurrection power on display on earth right now is in the church. In the gathering of people who follow Jesus, in our love for all the saints, one another, in our prayer and care for each other. And it's a power uh, that's on display when we come together around the gospel. It's a power that he uses to give spiritual support and encouragement to the church. And I hope uh, that you feel from Paul's words that encouragement and support this morning. And it's a power that will testify and that will put on display together in our gathering as uh, as Pastor Rich comes and leads us in
0: uh, the table of the Lord. And so let's do that.